Well, good morning. As you could tell, I am not Jason. Uh, I'm Vincent Hoppy. I am the church planning resident over at Village 7 Presbyterian Church. I was basically brought in to ask questions and learn. And so my relationship with Jason is like this. I run into a problem and I go, I can't think my way out of this, so I need to ask someone else for help. That's my relationship with him, is just to ask for help. And so he's, he's very kind to always meet with me. And so I appreciate that. And then every once in a while, he asked me to come preach. And here is the weird thing, okay? He asked me to come preach on this text, and he assigned this text to me. And I look at it, and I go, well, half of this is travel log. Like, Paul went here, and then he went here. And I'm like, what in the world? And then the other part is basically Luke telling the audience that Paul late at night, was so boring to one man that he falls out the window and dies. And I'm like, score, that's the text I've always wanted to preach on. Super excited. So this is a learning experience for me. Hopefully it will not be torture on you. If you fall over, we will pick you up as dead. And we'll cart you out. No. Um, but but that, that is what we're doing. So I'm here to learn as a church planter. And what what our goal is, is that we would help uh, people, especially in the downtown area, learn how to love God, love neighbor. That we would see the flourishing of downtown in Colorado Springs, and not just one segment of the population, but we would see uh, all segments of the population in downtown reached. Uh, and the largest demographic right now of that group is actually the newly retired those people need the gospel. Then there's young creatives. They need the gospel. Then there's a bunch of families out there like mine. I have four kids, and it is a party all the time. They're hanging out right over there. They're looking at each other right now. They're like, he's talking about me. Uh, that's, that's like us. Uh, there's lots of kids playing in the park all the time. And so that's downtown. It's diverse and different. And so what, are we, what, what am I called to do? What, what are we called to do? Hopefully we'll be people who connect, we care, and we cultivate. We connect because the deepest need that we have is, is relationship. Many of us feel and know what it means to be estranged from God, the most important relationship that we, that we can have, but we also know what it means to be estranged from the relationships of family members, uh, friends, neighbors. So we want to be people who connect, who throw ourselves and plunge ourselves into a community for the sake of that community. Next, we want to be people who care, people who actually listen to people's stories, hear the pains, rejoice in the good things. Those are the kind of people we want to be. And then we want to be people who cultivate, people who take their time, talents, and efforts to see the goodness of a place sprout up and flourish. We want to see downtown as it was meant to be, okay? And it is about God's kingdom, about God's kingdom. And so that's, that is uh, the direction that we're going downtown, but we also see this in Acts. We see in the book of Acts that it is a history, it is a history of God's kingdom coming, his kingdom of love infiltrating this world, breaking into the present and transforming it, and we're starting to see it in Acts, all right? 
you guys have seen my text. If you, if you, you could start turning there. I'm in Acts 20. We're going to start in verse 1. And while you're turning there, we must remember that this is a history. It's selective. Contains bits of travel logs, narratives, speeches. And it's not comprehensive. It's not telling us everything. But it is written in order to confirm to the reader the certainty of God's love. And that it will transform. It will make a difference in this world. And it is the love and the person of Jesus Christ going to the ends of the earth. It shows us that Jesus matters, and it shows us that how he, about how he changed the world. It is this unstoppable love spreading and transforming ordinary people. And that these ordinary people go out and they do this extraordinary work. And we see it all here in the book of Acts. It's like a, watching a high mountain stream start and then carve a canyon. Changing the, changing the world, changing the earth. We see it carve a canyon in hearts of people. And it is beautiful. So if you would, let us look at bits of travel log, bits of narrative, but serving as gospel show and tell. Acts chapter 20. Uh, here it is. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encountering them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter, the Berean, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians are Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimius. These were, went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, we, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. And intending to depart on the next day, it, it intended, it, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, it said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Azos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Azos, he took him, we took him aboard and went to Mithlian. Mithlian, yeah. And, and sailing from there, he came to the following, the opposite of Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, open them up, so that we would see that your word 
The certainty of Jesus' love for sinners matters, and it matters every day of our lives and for every aspect of our lives. And I pray that we would take that out as we are transformed by your word into this world. Lord, help me to speak in a way that is glorifying to you. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. On April 22, 2000, federal agents stormed a house in Miami, Florida to take out and seize a young Cuban boy who was there illegally. I watched this while uh, trying to enjoy ESPN Sports Center. Instead, was was interrupted. And so there I was as a young man going, what in the world is going on? And But this news had didn't really matter to me, didn't do much to me, but, you know, the world talked about it. At about the same time, I also received news from my mom. She said, I'm leaving your dad, and I do not plan on coming back. Now, that news changed my life. See, the difference was that one mattered to me, and the other did not matter so much. And the interesting thing about our day and age now is that this story, this news, the gospel, doesn't seem to matter too much to us. We've been lulled to sleep. We're bored of it. Some of us, though, don't understand why in the world does it make any sense that some Jewish man dying 2,000 years ago and rising from the dead has anything to do with the way I work with the way I raise my kids, with the way I interact with my neighbor. But what this story shows us, and what these stories show us, is that it matters deeply. And that it has so much substance, it's going to change the world. And in this case, it was changing the world. So, um, we, we need to understand and see how the existence of God matters for the uh, shows I binge on Netflix, Uh, the way I go about doing my schoolwork, this is important. Because Sunday does matter to Monday. Saturday does matter to Monday. But we have been inoculated to the gospel. We hear it on Sundays, and then we disconnect from it. We We think that Christianity, in a lot of ways, is nothing more than a personal preference, that Christianity, that Jesus was just a wise sage or philosopher. But Acts illustrates for us that what happens and what has happened and continuing to happen in this world through God's people is nothing short of 200 proof, pure gospel in its form, and it is injected into the lives of his people. This story, although boring on the top, matters. And because Jesus matters, it's going to disrupt us. It's going to challenge us to uh, take chances. It's going to unite us, and it's going to give us life. A four-point sermon. Yes, I know. I'm I'm trying not to to go crazy here, but it's a four-point sermon. So it will disrupt us, cause us to take chances. It'll unite us, and it'll give us life. So one, it disrupts us. 
Unlike today, the message of Christianity came on the local scene at that time, and it was a major upheaval. Uh, for example, Jesus tells, his, tells, tells the audience, I'm God in the flesh. I've come to redeem you. They're like, say what? And they pick up stones and they want to kill him. Right? And here's my thing. I actually think that they understood what he was saying because they tried to kill him. Some people crown him. Other people wanted to kill him. And don't get me wrong. I think there's time for investigation to figure it out on your journey, your spiritual journey, and really figure out and wrestle with who Jesus is. But to say that he's only a good teacher or showing a way instead of being the way, then you're fundamentally disagreeing about what, with what Jesus says about himself. And you have to weigh, with what, weigh, weigh what Jesus says about himself. Um, Bono from U2 puts it this way. Uh, Jesus isn't letting you off the hook. The scriptures don't let you off the hook so easily. When people say, you know, eh, good teacher, prophet, really nice guy. This is not how Jesus thought of himself. So you're left with a challenge in that, which is either Jesus was who he said he was or a complete nut or nutcase. You have to make a choice on that. And I believe that Jesus was, you know, the son of God. And his believers, his, his followers earlier on, believed that too. Some of them would be fed to beasts. One Peter was crucified upside down. Some were burned alive. Some were beheaded because they believed that Jesus mattered. And it changed all of their lives. They understood that Christianity is making a universalizing claim. It's saying that everything belongs to him. But yet we live in a world now with compete, competing claims and everyone says, ah, you know, what you believe, what I believe, it's not really that important. Let's just get along. But that would betray with what Jesus, what Jesus was saying about himself. You know, here's the thing. Verse 1 reminds us that there was an uproar in Ephesus where Paul had just left, where he preached the gospel, the message of Christianity, and doing this exposed them. It disrupted all of Ephesus, so much so that they were like yelling out in a, in a giant mob, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and they wanted to, to stone Paul. Stone, not, not in the Colorado way, just throw rocks at him, okay? Um, so, and then in, we, in verse 3, we see that the message of Christianity was bothering and unsettling other people in, in Greece. And so, what do they do? Uh, the Jews wanted to kill him. In verse 7, it, it indicates that it changed the day of worship. Instead of Saturday, the day of rest, it moved to the first day. Because we enter into his rest in Jesus Christ, it has come. And a new week of work has begun to remake this world. It disrupts people in different ways, too. For an irreligious person who strongly desires to be free from anyone telling him what to do, Jesus is going to disrupt you because he says, I'm the creator of the world. I made you, and I have claim on your life. More than that, Jesus Christ dies for you to redeem your life, to pay the penalty for sin. And not because you earned it, but because he loves you. And that's backwards. And that's going to disrupt you because then you know, if he has paid everything, I owe him everything. And it's disruptive. To a religious person, maybe you find yourself always looking down your nose at those who don't worship like you, vote like you do, or seem to be able to be the answer man, and you sit around going, ah, uh, yeah, but you know, 
uh, what about this? That kind of person, you know, Jesus is going to disrupt you as well because it's not about following the rules. God does not approve of you because you can do these 10 things. It's backwards. He loves you and approves of you, and it melts your heart to be like his. See, uh, moral outrage of a religious person is a poor cover-up for our hypocritical false piety. Always being angry, writing a blog about being angry at something is just a false cover-up. When you realize that you don't have the smarts, you're not that morally superior, it frees you to actually love people the way Jesus loved people. Um, let's, let's do this. You know, if you find that, thou, that your God never disagrees with you, as, as Augustine says, Augustine says, you know, if you read the Gospels and you take out all the good parts and, you know, you keep them and then you throw out all the bad parts, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. Let me put it another way. Uh, back in a long time ago, there was a movie called The Stepford Wives. They redid it and really messed it up. Uh, called The Stepford Wives, where these men would take these women and make them into like little robots, and that they were perfect. Everything that they wanted to be, they never disagreed. They always did everything that they wanted. See, and many people do not want to be disrupted. They want to have someone made in his image. And so what we've done, instead of making ourselves in God's image, we make God in our image. We make it about our kingdom. So one, it matters because Jesus, Jesus, because Jesus matters, we have, we have um, it, it disrupts us. G.K. Chesterton said this, let your religion be less of theory and more of a love affair. So what does this mean? If it disrupts us, are you going to prioritize Jesus to reorganize the rest of your life? Are you going to prioritize Jesus to reorganize the rest of, his, rest of your life? Are you going to be about God's kingdom? So what does this mean? Uh, you do things like loving God and loving neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor. You come here on Sunday to be transformed, to hear that God actually loves you. We have to get that on our hearts. We have to read it in the scriptures. We have to soak in it all the time like it's a hot tub. Okay? That's what we need to hear. In order that we would take that out and be about his kingdom work on Monday. All right? So the first thing is worship. And then love your neighbor. So Jesus matters, and because Jesus matters, it causes us to take chances. We see throughout Acts, the apostles are willing to take chances. All right? The belief in God, the God of the universe who made all things and made humans in his image to receive and show his love into the world. But they rebelled and rejected his love and had gone astray. It was wreaking havoc on this world. And the story of God wreaks havoc. But they take chances because of it. It changes them. They were opportunistic. Look at this. So they preached during the festivals of Pentecost. They preach to their prisoners. They preach in the synagogues. They preach in the marketplaces. They preach in pagan temples. They preach everywhere that there is a God who created them, a God who loves them, and a God who wants them back. And Jesus Christ came to do that. So in verse 6, we see that they stopped during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was an opportunity for Paul to explain that Jesus, he was the substance of the shadows 
the shadows that the feast was casting. The feast was just the shadow, and Jesus was the substance. It makes it into this travel log because Jesus mattered. Jesus mattered, even down to how they traveled. Even down to the points of how they traveled. So in verses 13 through 16, we, say, we see him doing these other, they're going to other places, right? Their future travel plans to Asos, which included a large temple to Athena and the goddess of justice. I could see Paul telling them about true justice. We see in Chios, the birthplace of Homer. I can imagine, that, imagine Paul telling them about the true motivation and power for living a virtuous life. In Samos, which was the place of Pythagoras, the father of, of geometry. Let's be real. I can't see any redemption of geometry. I did really bad in high school. Uh, so there's, there's probably little to say there. But Paul would have made something of it. Miletus was a major port city with trade and people coming in. I can imagine Paul preaching that Jesus' resurrection is the down payment or pledge to build an even more incredible city of God. You know, many people here in Colorado Springs, and especially here on the west side, love nature. You see the ridge of, of Ute Valley Park over there. It's awesome. Awesome. What does it look like to be opportunistic? Because Jesus mattered to be opportunistic. This is what it means, okay? It means after, after we get out of here and we're enjoying 70-degree weather today, you get on your mountain bike and you invite your neighbor to go. You, you grill out and you invite your neighbors. You know, you take advantage of it. People are going to be outside. Go where they go. Be opportunistic. Show up with where, where they show up. Be present at the grocery store. You know the mindless checkout? You know the ladies just checking out. Show up and be present there. Say hi. Get their name. It'll be amazing that you notice them. Notice people wherever you go. Be opportunistic. Jesus matters. He was opportunistic and he sees you and he comes and gets you. Be opportunistic. Take chances. Okay? And here's, here's part of it. All right? Uh, 30 years, this is a second Bono thing for you two. 30 years ago, Joshua Tree came out, and I'm sure it blew someone's mind. But nowadays, it's way cooler. I don't know how this happens. But it comes out. And Bono expresses this yearning that we have for a lot of people here at Westside have. You know, I recently, uh, one of my neighbors said to me, hey, you know, I, don't, I went to church for a long time. I don't go to church much anymore because what I really got, I've got, I've got God whenever I go to Garden of the Gods. I experience him there. All right? And it's, it's a true feeling. It is a yearning. We want God so deeply. And Bono says it pretty good. Bono from U2 says, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run. I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think many of our neighbors out in nature on the mountaintops have felt this way. But you give them the substance, Jesus Christ, to the very thing that they're longing for in the shadows. You know, it's Jesus matters. It is the longings that we have for justice, 
We find it in Jesus Christ being killed unjustly. So one wiser person once said, if there's no God, what hope is there for all the injustice in the world? There is a God. What hope is there for all the injustice in my heart? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Chris McCandless, in the movie Into the Wild and in the book, decided that he wanted to experience God, so he escapes and he goes out having adventure after adventure until he ends up uh, at the foot of Mount um, Denali, Denali National Park. And so he's out there in, in a bus. And the movie records it really well. He wanted to have an experience with God. But in the end, the substance of that was found in relationships. Relationships. It wasn't in mountaintop experiences. It wasn't out in the wilderness. It was in the relationships because deep down in all of us, we have been wired for relationship and it is a wired relationship to be with Jesus Christ. And so we take chances. We connect with people. We're present where people are because Jesus matters. Next, we see that Jesus unites us. Um, because Jesus matters, we don't have to do it alone. We realize it is not about my truth all by myself, but rather, rather it is for all of us. Further, the mission of God is way too important for one person to do it alone. Uh, that job was already taken. Paul was highly unqualified for that job. You know, And so this is where we see it. Look in the text, uh, starting in verse, uh, verse 4, we see these people that are going with Paul. They're actually Gentiles bringing support for their Jewish brothers and sisters in verses 4, five, four, four and 5. So they were going ahead. And it was important. So this is the strange thing. Gentiles and Jews didn't get along even if they were Christians. But then we see this transformation. Jesus had united both parties. He was bringing them together. He was doing something crazy. He was giving us, lot, giving us, giving us something that we desperately needed. And so it, it is not individualism, individualistic spirit. He needed help. He needed to do this together. And he was bringing together two opposite people to do one thing. So Jesus, because Jesus matters, it unifies us. So how does it unify us? Um, it challenges our racism, our classism. It challenges all those little places. Here, let me put it this way. One politician once said, it takes a village to raise a child. I'm going to go one step further. It actually takes a church to raise a child. It takes people giving all their time, effort, and abilities to raise children and for that mission. And so it unifies people who are completely different. Think about it this way. You cannot reach your neighbor by yourself. You cannot love your neighbor enough by yourself. You need other neighbors. You need other people to join in that mission with you to do that. All right? And so here's the question. Here's the application. Who are you going to ask to join you? Who's going to be part of your team to reach your neighborhood? Are you going to get together and pray? Are you going to get together and throw a block party? Go for it. Because Jesus matters, it's going to unite us. 
And lastly, in the bulk of the text, we see that because Jesus matters, it gives us life. You know, we keep the first day of the week as special for worship and rest because Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. In his new life, life was injected back into the world. And it changed everything. And Luke is sure to make special note of this. God's work of salvation is complete. Enjoy life. So the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Paul talked with them to break bread, to eat together. But something tragic happens. The exact opposite of what's being pictured, that Jesus' life, that he gave it up for you so that you could have life, the exact opposite happens. Eutychus, at this time, he's probably tired from a long day's work. And there's all these like oil lamps going on, so it's probably smoky and it's warm. You know, you're in a crowd of people and it's getting warm. You know, someone's snuggling up against your arm like, ah, I just want to go to sleep. And you do this number. And so he's like, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to get some fresh air. But then there's Paul who is preaching so slow and boring. Well, I know it's boring because the Bible basically says it. It says this. Paul talked still longer. And it's like Luke saying, like, hey, take that, Paul. You know, but here's the thing. It's Eutychus, which means lucky or fortunate. Yeah, this guy. He gets up there. He falls asleep and falls out the window. Everyone's like, tragedy. It's over. It's the exact opposite of what was supposed to happen when they were breaking bread. Their time together was life was life infused. But here, see the opposite. But what does Paul do? Paul, who was nourished by the breaking of bread, the drinking of the cup, throws himself over this man. I can imagine him weeping, understanding that he should not die, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. He should not die. Someone already died to plant life in all of us and to reorganize this world and to give us life. And the miraculous happened. He was dead. If Luke, a physician, says he's dead, he's dead. Okay? But Paul says, does the tricky thing, life is still in him. And so the miraculous happens. Young man has life. He has life. You see, the message of Christianity is not go and get life. Eutychus lost his. But rather, is Jesus has given his life, true life for you. The story of Christianity is not that you have to die because Jesus died. And the life you now live is the life that he gives you. Many of us have heard the, the message of Christianity and have been lulled to sleep. I hope the death of Eutychus and his miraculous life will be the smelling salts you need. Death is the exact opposite of what's demonstrated here at the Lord's Supper. Life given for your life. 
so that you would have true life and you would take that and give life to the world. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that in this supper you give us life. In it, we see Jesus' broken body, His blood poured out, so that we may have life. Lord, thank You for the book of Acts, which is the certainty of God's love, that it will defeat death. That death has been defeated. So much so, the dead rise. Lord, we thank You. We love you for all that you do. Pray now that you would meet us in the Lord's Supper, that we would be transformed for the sake of the world. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.